Hello and welcome to the St. Emelins podcast. My name is Simon Carley and today I am delighted to have um, a great friend of ours, uh, Roberto Cosentini, who is from Northern Italy, who's going to help us understand how we might prepare better for the forthcoming COVID-19 problem that I think we're all going to face. So Roberto, thank you so much for, for joining us today. Do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Yes, uh, I work in a, in a very big hospital in uh, Bergamo, which uh, actually is a very small town north to Milan, but uh, which serves as a tertiary hospital, uh, an area of uh, more than one million people. So we have uh, around uh, 800 beds and we see almost uh, 100,000 patients uh, per year in our emergency room. Well, the, mm, the epidemic started in Italy around the 15th, uh, 16th of February in another town, South Milan, which is called Lodi, where uh, the leader of the emergency department who is Stefano Paglia, who is a very smart guy, developed a, a very fine model to face the, this uh, terrific uh, epidemic. And I had the, the luck to, to go there one week before the epidemic started in Bergamo to see uh, how he arranged the, his um, emergency department. And we, and we adopted his model I think, that I think could be useful for many other people around the world. So you're now in the actual epidemic itself. And yeah. it must be a tough time. So I, I wanted to start off really by asking you, how, how are you getting on and how are your staff feeling and uh, how are you coping at the moment? Yeah, we, we started our epidemic uh, smoothly uh, on the 21st of February with the first two cases of uh, pneumonia. And we immediately uh, recognized that it was a, a COVID infection mm. because it's a, a very typical pattern in terms of uh, radiology and clinical aspects. I will, um, I will tell you later about uh, the, uh, the specific uh, aspects of the, of the pneumonia. And we, we had the time to prepare because the, f the first phase of the epidemic is typically smooth and with um, an upper airway presentation, cough, uh, pharyngitis. Uh, so we have uh, three to four days to recognize that it, it was arriving because it was the, the, the exact same phenomenon as in uh, Lodi, as in the first town where the epidemic um, outbreak uh, started in, in Italy. And then the second phase was um, characterized by the, by the presence of fever. And there we have the confirmation that it was uh, a COVID outbreak because fever is completely different than the, the usual, the regular fever or the seasonal flu because it's, it's, it's very long, it's prostrating and lasts at least, at least four to five days and then maybe subsides and then uh, it comes again or, or it lasts uh, 10 to 12 days. So, so at that point, we realized we, we were in. And then we, uh, at that time, uh, we, we, re, we started to reorganize our emergency department according to the model of, uh, of Lodi, because uh, we knew that uh, 
a, a great number of uh, patients with severe pneumonia were will be coming in the next few days, and and this is what what this was what uh, happened on the second week. So just stop you that, Roberto. So I think for us at the moment, and I think some of our colleagues in um, the US and Australia, I think we're probably in that early phase. So we're yeah. just seeing lots and lots of patients who've come through with the the symptoms of the fever and the cough. Um, and we're just starting to see the very severely affected patients who are coming in hypoxic with pneumonia, um, looking very unwell. And we haven't got many of those at the moment, but are you saying that that's fairly typical that we'll see a few yeah, for a period of yeah. time and then it might get worse? Yes. Initially, uh, there are some sparse cases of pneumonia that increase steadily uh, until uh, they are at least the 50% of patients with fever. And then there is a, a steep increase of pneumonia. Now we, we see almost 80, 90% of patients with fever who come to emergency department with pneumonia which is the vast majority. So as in my department's not a dissimilar size to yours. So um, at the peak of the, the the event, how many patients were you seeing with pneumonia coming through a day? At the peak, uh, I think uh, 70, 80. Well, look, we, wow. mm, till now, we, we saw the, the start of the epidemic around 900 patients with suspected COVID infection. Uh, the first uh, 100, 150 were uh, upper airway, upper airway infection or or fever, and and during the last day, we saw uh, last ten days we saw uh, four hundred uh, pneumonia, four hundred patients with pneumonia, last uh, ten days. So that's a, that's a huge number coming through. Yeah, huge number. But this is uh, this is not the only thing we um, that that is terrific of the epidemic. Uh, the other is uh, the characteristics of, of pneumonia. As you may have seen in your first uh, cases, uh, patients are extremely hypoxic, and despite that, they are not so dyspneic or in respiratory distress. Mm-hmm. They they present with a, a very a, a very low puffy ratio, less than one hundred, and they breathe normally because the the lung is very soft at at the beginning. And this this one point. The other point is that tip, the natural history of, of pneumonia is typically typically very long, and this is a huge stress for uh, the health system because you progressively see patients and admit patients to, to your ward or your um, ICU, and then you know in advance that will stay in the hospital at least seven to ten days. So you you rapidly. Uh, finish your uh, bed resources in your hospital. Just the simple maths there is that if you're admitting, say, 40 patients a day for 10 days, that's 400 patients as inpatients with significant respiratory disease. So that is even a hospital the size of mine. Again, it's similar to yours. That would be a huge stress on the system. Yeah, it it is. Yes, and and the stress is is not only for the the, the hospital, but also for the entire uh, area. Because uh, the math tells you that you have to look for other beds outside your hospital to look for patients after the du- during the recovery yeah. phase. Otherwise, you don't have uh, empty beds to to admit the the sickest patients. So it, it's a matter of uh, organization of the entire health system. 
we, we set up a, a network for ICU beds, HDU beds, high-dependency unit beds, and regular beds, war, war beds, and, and also uh, recovery beds outside. I think this this is crucial to face the the epidemic. Okay, and you told me that you had rearranged the way that the emergency department runs. So at the moment, our emergency department is just as it always has been. But as of next week, we're going to divide our department up into a respiratory department where we will see any cases of the respiratory and an everything else department. So we're going to basically create two emergency departments on our site. Did did you do something similar? Yes, we, we did so. Uh, and now my emergency department, it's a huge, long unit and very small, clean yeah. unit to, to look for, uh, for other patients. And, and we divided the, the long unit into, into three uh, levels of uh, inten- intensity cure, high intensity, intermediate and low. Because the, the severity of pneumonia is so high that more than 30% of patients who come who came to our hospital needed an FiO2 greater than 50%. Right. That that's incredible. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, as uh, it's a stress not not only for um, for for patients but also for for the doctor, for the nurses, for the entire system and also for the logistics because you run the risk to to go to go short of uh, equipment of oxygen masks uh, CPAP equipment and so on so you you, you have you have to to buy everything in, in advance so what sort of um, when these patients are coming in and they're hypoxic um, sort of sort of in the intermediate group who are requiring oxygen what sort of oxygen targets are you heading for so they're coming in quite with what sort of saturations are they arriving with almost uh, half percent comes with a saturation lower than 90% on room air. Wow. Okay. And you're presumably getting them up to what, 92, 93, 94% with oxygen? Yes, yes. Uh, uh, the target is this, is this one. Yes, 92, 93 or a bit less if they have a chronic yeah. lung infection. Sorry, how many of the patients are requiring intubation in the ED? In the ED, very few because we Good. we have uh, we have access to, to, in, to in-hospital beds uh, quite rapidly uh, so so i think we we had intu- uh, we had to intubate patients in the, in the emergency department I, I think till now i think 10, 10 patients no more mm-hmm. and the rate of intubation of the admitted patient is is about uh, 3 to 4% but okay. most of them need non invasive ventilation and this this, this is a, the key point because this is a, a very a very high number of patients and this is a, a, a very, a very hard stress for for the entire for for the emergency department and also for the hospital, because you yeah. have to arrange to arrange a semi-intensive unit, high dependency unit, very large. And so presumably those patients are cohorted because at the moment we're not using non-invasive ventilation because of the risks to sort of aerosolize um, around. But I guess if you cohorted them in one area and everybody's wearing PPE, you can still use non-invasive ventilation under those circumstances. Yes, 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 yes. And so, and you're saying that my understanding is that the the, the lungs are quite um, are quite pliable, so these aren't difficult to yeah. ventilate people. So they probably don't need a lot of support. They just need a relatively small amount of pressure support, I would guess. Well, well, we 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 generally treat this patient with uh, with mere CPAP, one one level pressure. Yeah, because the the lung is very soft. 
it's much much easier than uh, the bi-level ventilation you don't need a ventilator uh, the only variable uh, that is crucial is that the you need a high flow generator otherwise you can't right. do a, a right sip uh, up and in general we use a helmet much more comfortable than the mask and also it's less dangerous than the mask because of all the leaks if, if the helmet is the right size, you have no leaks at all. Okay. And um, so these patients are coming in, you're doing the assessments. Did you think um, that the number of other patients, so the, the, the patients who don't have respiratory or lung problems, you, you, you're saying that you think those numbers went down in Italy, so you saw fewer of them? Yeah, there was a, a huge, a massive drop of other patients. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, that's, that's a good thing, I suppose, because yeah. it means that we can move patients and, and staff from one area to the other. Um, so that's really, really interesting. Uh, the, other thing we, uh, the other thing about the other patient, the clean patient, let's say, uh, the other thing that interesting that we re- rearranged in, um, at the larger area in, within our region, which is uh, 10 million people, is to dedicate some hospital to, uh, let's say, stroke, another hospital to STEMI, and so on, in, in order to optimize uh, the resources and, um, and concentrate a COVID patient to, to some hospitals. Okay, and how, how have the staff coped with this? Because at, in England at the moment, there's an awful lot of anxiety and worry and concern amongst the staff about treating these patients. How, how, have, how have your your team coped once it actually starts? Because I think everybody, it's normal. Everybody's going to be anxious at the beginning. Yeah. But once it gets going, how has that been? Yeah, sure. Well, we were, uh, we were prepared because we, we seen what was going on in, in Lodi. And uh, we are, we wear always the, the PPE. So, so the rate of infection of, of my, of my colleagues here in the medicine department is very low. It's less than, uh, than, Ten percent is is around five percent. So this, uh, I think this, this is not uh, for now uh, a, a great concern for for uh, mm-hmm. for my for my team. Uh, the great concern is uh, from the, from the, from the, the side of, of motion because it's really hard yeah. to see so many people sick at the, at the same time. It's like um, it's like a, a regular daily earthquake. Uh, during uh, in in the first hour of the afternoon, in general, the the disease mm-hmm. in the fever goes on goes up, and people get worse. And this is and this is the reason why in our emergency department we, we, we saw this in Lodi and also in Bergamo. We see lots of patients in the same time come to the emergency department with uh, shaken chills and dyspnea, and this is very hard to face. I think that this one. This is one of the most important aspects of, uh, of coping with, uh, with COVID. We, we have to be prepared, not only mentally, but also emotionally. Okay. And, and we ask yeah. uh, help for the psychologists of our hospital because this, this, is, uh, this is tough. And this is, uh, is to be prepared and programmed in advance. So you think we should be thinking about that now? Because otherwise it's too hard. Okay. And what sort of things? Yeah, sure. 
Sure. And also the and also the one of the most important things is uh, to synchronize hospital admission with uh, with the inflow of patients uh, in the in the emergency mm-hmm. room. One day we we didn't synchronize very well. It was uh, the day of, of the peak, the eighth of March, or March, where where we saw uh, I think eighty patients with uh, with pneumonia, and we didn't have uh, beds inside the hospital. So um, we we had patients mm. with oxygen everywhere in our emergency room, and this was very 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 tough. And we we reached the, the top of one hundred five patients within my yeah with our okay. emergency room. That was really really awesome. That, that that was the moment when when I uh, when yeah. I called my director and asked him to to go there <laughs> to go down because in general the emergency room is down <laughs> uh, to to see the patient because um, uh, figures number talk to the brain but images talk to the heart. So there's a lot of stuff in. Twitter and on social media at the moment to say that um, in in certain parts of Italy the the number of intensive care beds has not been enough and they've had to make some difficult decisions about um, who gets admitted to intensive care units and who might go on to ventilators is is that something which is just on Twitter or is that something which has happened in Italy maybe not in your place but in in Italy in, in general uh, no well uh, sometimes we we work with limited resources. This this is not true. Mm-hmm. Uh, this may be may not be true for ICU yeah. beds, but maybe for uh, CPAP equipment. This is tough. In in Italy, um, we we had already a network uh-huh. of ICU beds for ECMO, which work uh, phenomenally to increase uh, the number of beds to to meet the the requests of uh, ICU beds for for the for the COVID. Uh, the COVID uh, outbreak, but anyway, we we have uh, uh, something like like a score to to identify patients who who likely benefit of intubation and ICU admission, and those who might not might not. But the, the, this is uh, this is not work. This is uh, regular work, and I think that happens here as well. We've always made judgments about who is most likely to benefit from intensive care medicine. So it's reassuring to hear that there hasn't been a dramatic change in your locality and that actually we're still applying the same levels of clinical judgment and i think that that's a really important message to get out there um to people so that's that's mm-hmm. very positive are, are you doing any other therapies apart from the sort of ventilatory support so i've, I've read reports of people using things like hydroxychloroquine and some other antiviral drugs yes we, we use it uh, there's no proof yeah that it works but but you use uh, both antivirals and uh, hydroxychloroquine yeah. We're we're running a, a trial on uh, anti-interleukin six, uh-huh. uh, but we we enrolled a few, a few patients, and also we we're we're running a trial within uh, our emergency department on uh, sildenafil. Okay. As a, yeah. Long, as a yeah. But we we enrolled uh, too few patients because uh, that's a drug which is used, I think, in pulmonary hypertension, isn't it? Quite a lot. Uh, yeah. We we have a, a lot of data. A lot of patients, and we had no time to to study now. <laughs> no, that can come later. I yeah, yeah, that's that's definitely something for later. Yeah, um, but yeah, I think there's going to be some fascinating science that comes out of this, sadly. Um, but yeah, that that's one for definitely for later on. So, looking at and listening to your experience, it sounds very much as if if we're here in the UK, we need to 
really think about dividing our departments up and having a, a areas which are dedicated to yeah. lung pulmonary disease. Um, yeah. We need to train with PPE um, yeah, sure. a lot and now. Um, and we need to expect, it sounds like there's a diurnal variation. So maybe in the afternoons, we can expect to see peaks of admissions and that we need to be able to potentially um, provide oxygen support and 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 some sure. CPAP support to quite large numbers of patients at times. That sounds to be seems to be what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, the other thing uh, that is interesting in terms of um, change uh, the the hospital, the entire hospital organization, is the the, collab- the collaboration between physicians because we we progressively uh, converted. Uh, beds devoted to other specialties to COVID patients. So uh, from yeah. from a certain point, we didn't have um, more doctors dedicated to COVID, let, let's say I, ID physicians, uh, pneumologists, intensivists. So um, we have to en- enroll other physicians who are not very accustomed to, to see a patient with acute respiratory failure to, to see the, this kind of patient. So we, we had to to run a, a course for them uh, to, to recognize uh, acute respiratory failure and, and the alarm in science and to wear wow. the PPE and so on. But the, this worked very, very well. We had a very, very well response. So I, I think that the inter- not, not only the emergency department, the entire hospital is completely changing. We won't be the same after, after the outbreak. When you say other doctors and clinicians, from what other specialties were they coming from? Well, first, the first were the surgeons, but then the urologists, the ophthalmologists, uh-huh. uh, the oncologists, and the nephrologists, and so on. All, all, uh, almost all, all physicians in our hospital. Well, that's fantastic. It's really good that people have, have stepped up and agreed to support. And I know that there are plans in the UK to do something similar, um, to when the routine activity goes down. But what you're saying, and I I think I'd agree with you, is those people need a bit of extra training. They need a bit of induction. They need to be brought up to speed so they're comfortable and safe and happy working in the emergency department. And and this works much better if you can do it in advance, if you can. Yes. So maybe think about doing it now. And if you can tell them that in case you get get an outbreak uh, like this, you, you, you will do that. Okay, so that's something that we are thinking about now, but we've not yet done, but we can get onto that and certainly move with it. So we've been talking for some time, Roberto, and I always keep try and keep these tight because I know I know you're incredibly busy and I know you've, you've done really great job <laughs> to, to come on the call um, tonight, so I'm incredibly grateful. Is there anything else that you think that that you'd like to tell us? I mean, we're all very... We've, we're, I admit, I think we're all a bit scared about what's going to come. And uh, do you have any words for the people who are, who are worried? Yeah, okay. I, I see. Yes, yes, I see. Uh, I think you can, you, we, we can manage. Um, I think that um, uh, knowledge sharing mm-hmm. and the form also could help us a lot. Because um, after all, this, this is emergency medicine. Yeah, this is what we started for, so we are we are able to do it. So don't panic; we'll get it over. I think that's an I think that's such an important message, um, and it's really heartening to hear that. Um, I'm always, you know, always worried that we, we'll have a conversation. You'll tell us, you know, it's just awful. But it sounds like you've done an incredible job 
you know, you, your colleagues, your hospitals, the other specialties, it sounds like you've done, yeah, you know, maybe the pinnacle of emergency medicine to deal with a true ongoing disaster with lots and lots of sick people who really need our help and in whom we can make a difference. And I guess that's why a lot of us went into emergency medicine. Yeah. So I guess this is this is an opportunity. Yeah, sure. We we wouldn't have chosen it. Yeah. <laughs> we wouldn't have chosen it. But if it's here, we we've got to step up. Yeah, sure. Yes, we'll never be the same. That is amazing. Thank you so much, Roberto. Um, if it's okay, I'm going to put this out fairly soon into the FOMED world. Yeah, sure. I probably won't do that much in the way of editing because I think I just want to hear your voice and I want to hear your experiences. It's been amazing. Okay. Thank you very much, Simon. Good luck. Okay. Good, Good luck. luck. Good luck. Bye-bye. Thank you. Thank you. Bye.